Welcome to Holy Unhappiness, conversations about the expectations we have of what the life of faith will feel like. I'm your host, Amanda Held Opelt, author of the book, Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. Each week, I'll be speaking with writers, pastors, artists, and friends about the myths we believe about the good life. Together, we'll reimagine what blessing can look like if we are willing to look beyond our culture's definition of happiness and success. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. So, what's this podcast all about? I'm Amanda Held Opelt, and this is my first episode. And I thought I would just begin by giving y'all a little bit of history on how this book, Holy Unhappiness, came to be, how this podcast came to be. I never really fancied myself a podcaster, so I thought maybe I'd give you a little bit of the origin story on how we got where we are today. Um... What most people don't know is that this book, Holy Unhappiness, is really my first book. It's a book I started working on, gosh, five or six years ago. It's been gnawing at me that long. And it began with me being just kind of interested in our conceptions of happiness and blessedness, particularly as it relates to vocation and work. And I was doing a lot of study on that and research and making a lot of notes. And right before I was ready to put those notes into a book proposal to go uh, to my agent, uh, life got profoundly interrupted. It was a series of losses, three miscarriages, a season of infertility, um, the sudden death of my only sibling. And then, of course, shortly after she died, a global pandemic just swept the world and shut everything down. And so that project really came to a crashing halt. It was during that season that I ended up writing my book, A Hole in the World, Finding Hope in Rituals of Grief and Healing. And that was a book about how my study of historic bereavement traditions helped me process my losses and and that was actually the book that was published first. It was published about a year ago. Um, and so after the chaos of releasing that book into the world, um, I picked up my old notes, the notes from my first book, my original book, the book that was still gnawing away at me. And I thought, I really do want to finish this. I really, I really feel like I need to see this through. But... But by the time I picked up those notes and started working on it again, of course, my life had changed. Things had gone um, like 
catastrophically wrong. Um, this The story of my life was unfolding in a way I had never really imagined. And so it was during that time that I started thinking about, like, this is going to sound strange, but what a disappointment the experience of grief had been. Like, that feels weird to say I was disappointed in grief. But I think I realized that I had this idea, like, I, 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 I walked into grief with this notion that if I believed the right things, if I had, like, a structurally sound theology of suffering, if I was rigorously committed to a daily quiet time and prayer with the Lord, if I was spiritually fit, then in the midst of my trials and tribulations, I would still maintain a deep peace. I would still maintain joy that... um, God would help me see the purpose in my pain, and I'd have an abiding sense of his presence. But that was not at all what my experience of grief was. Grief was awful. It was like torture. I had no peace. I had no joy. I could see no silver lining. I saw no purpose in my pain, and God felt achingly absent. I started thinking a little bit about the prosperity gospel, actually. And, you know, the traditional prosperity gospel is this idea that if you're a a good person, that God wants to bless you with health and wealth, that God doesn't want you to suffer. He wants you to be healthy and have vitality and a big bank account. He wants you to live your best life now. And most of the people I hang out with in my little corner of Christendom don't subscribe to the traditional prosperity gospel. In fact, they would even say it's harmful theology, it's bad theology. But I realize that most of us subscribe to a more subtle spinoff of the prosperity gospel. It's something I like to call the emotional prosperity gospel. It's this idea that if you believe the right things, you will feel the right way. God might not give you health and wealth, but he does want to make you happy. He wants to give you meaning and purpose in your work and your ministry. Um, He wants to give you fulfillment in your relationships. He wants to give you peace and purpose even in your pain. And I also started thinking a little bit about, like, the values that undergird American optimism. You know, we are the culture of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. We believe we have agency and control over our outcomes if we just try harder and have the right wellness routine and optimize our lives and read enough self-help books that we can achieve for ourselves happiness. We can make for ourselves a happy life. And so when you believe all these things, then... Sadness can feel an awful lot like failure. And that's what I felt like. I felt like my sorrow made me a failure. I felt like my difficult emotions made me a failure. Like maybe I had failed, or God had failed, or my faith had failed. I started thinking about all of the times I've seen Christians post something on social media with the hashtag blessed, right? What are the things we see? We see, um, oh, we finally closed on on a new house, hashtag blessed, or it's a picture of the marriage proposal or the cute kids, hashtag blessed. Maybe a picture of you having a serene, quiet time, 
with the Lord at a beachside resort, sipping your soy latte, hashtag blessed. Maybe it's pictures of your church and all your friends at church and the amazing programs you have at church, hashtag blessed. <laughs> and I, I thought of all these facets of life, these elements to the script we follow, the things we think will achieve spiritual euphoria for us. Find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Marry a Christian spouse and you'll be happy. Get plugged into, into church and into community and you'll feel a sense of belonging. These different areas of our life that we think will deliver on the promise of emotional prosperity. And I wrote a chapter about each one of these things. I wrote a chapter about marriage, about work, about parenting, about community, about finding your calling. I wrote a chapter about church and our experience of sanctification. I wrote a chapter about our conceptions of the body. And I wrote a chapter about what we expect of our experience of suffering. And that was my book, Holy Unhappiness. And my publisher suggested, hey, what, what if you started a podcast and you had conversations um, with other authors and pastors and speakers about these topics? And I kind of balked at first because I, I always said I'd never start a podcast. I think they're too much work. <laughs> um, but what authors sometimes don't tell you is that when you've poured your heart and soul into a project like a book, you, you kind of want to debrief it. <laughs> like the experience is so intense that you, you kind of just want to talk about it and talk it out. And, and I thought, gosh, maybe this would be kind of a good excuse to have conversations with other thought leaders that I respect about this topic. Um, I'm actually feel like I'm still processing it. I'm still trying to understand it. And when it comes to a topic as slippery and ambiguous as happiness and unhappiness, gosh, I'm still figuring it out. And I want to talk about it. I'd love to talk with some of the folks whose work I used as a resource for my book. And so I agreed. I said, okay, let's do it. Let's start a limited series podcast. And so here we are. Um, and that brings me, I guess, to um, maybe what my hope um, for my listeners are, my hope is really just that you would feel less alone in the difficult emotions that you're experiencing. We live in a world that tells us that we should numb or shove down um, negative feelings. We should um, palliate them or ignore them and maintain this sense of optimism and positivity all the time. I don't want you to feel alone or feel like you're a failure if you've felt some of the difficult emotions and experienced some of the difficult things that I've experienced. And so I want, I want to read um, this one paragraph from um, the introduction of my book. I write, In this book, I make an attempt to befriend my sorrow rather than begrudge it. I've decided that my sadness has something to say, and my discomfort has something to teach me about myself, about God, and about the world around me. And though I have tried to reimagine what it truly means to be blessed, you won't find the familiar blessing in disguise trope here. You'll soon discover I'm not wild about the concept of silver linings, and I don't like being pressured to always find a purpose in my pain. This is a book for people who are curious about their discontent. 
for people who are tired of numbing and ready to feel, for people who are willing to normalize sorrow and rescue it from the margins. It's a book that investigates the cost of our commitment to optimism and tries to understand if there's blessedness to be found beyond our sacred formulas, positive feelings, and sticky sweet sentiments. This is a book for people who think that perhaps there is holiness to be found in their unhappiness. I do believe that God is present with us in our pain. I do believe that God wants to bless us, but sometimes that blessing looks different than what we imagined. So whether you're listening to this as a companion to the book or just tuning in as you drive or fold laundry, I'm glad you're here, truly. So stay tuned for the next episode where we'll be talking with Sharon Hottie Miller about work.